0: Hollywood celebrities are bouncing back from cancel culture with big film and TV offers. Pulling the plug on Internet Explorer, the internet browser we all love to hate. And teenage punk rock band, the Linda Lindas, hit back against anti-Asian racism with their viral song. Our experts discuss what's happening in the world of pop culture. Later in the show, a $5 strawberry and wine without spirits. Our food and wine gurus weigh in. But first, joining me remotely, Michael Jeffries, Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. Hi, Michael. Hi, Callie. And also, Rachel Rubin, Professor of American Studies at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Hello, Rachel.
2: Hi, Callie.
0: Rachel, I'm going to let you start off with this. Kevin Spacey is returning to the big screen after all of those horrific sexual misconduct allegations that uh, captured so many headlines for so many weeks. He's uh, going to star in an Italian film. Um, This is not a rumor. The director confirmed it. How do you respond to this?
2: Well, you know, there was that year when so many stars were condemned, right? And in some cases convicted, the Me Too year. And I just don't want it to have just been for that one period. Like, I just, you know, I just, I just, I, I, I'm freaked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and I should mention that in case people are th- re- uh, thinking about this, that he was also accused in a case here in Massachusetts, but the prosecutors dropped that case eventually. So the misconduct or the the uh, accusations and allegations spread far and wide. Michael, what do you say?
1: Well, the spacey thing is is troubling. I mean I agree with Rachel that it doesn't seem like there are lasting consequences here. And the other thing that I was thinking is it, it, it didn't seem to me and you all can correct me if I'm wrong, it didn't seem to me like he even made any great effort to rehabilitate his image. I mean, there was an apology that was not quite an apology maybe a few years ago, but it's not as if he's, you know, been putting in a lot of public work, raising awareness around uh, sexual assault or doing any of, of that kind of thing. It's more like he just waited for the fanfare or the criticism to die down and now he's popped back up again. So so I agree, it is it is troubling and it was a kind of kind of seems like he didn't even make a great effort to really reckon with the accusations.
0: So two things I want to point out. The film, when you translate the name of it, is called The Man Who Drew God. I'm like, okay. Um, And, you know, he can't do this alone. Somebody has to engage him in this. So in this case, it's director Franco Nero and the same thing is true for Paula Deen. People may know that name. She was quite popular for a long time, a Food Network star. She then passed it on to all her sons. You know, many shows, she was it until she was documented having said, uh, used some language and that was, you know, frankly racist. And, you know, people responded in kind, appropriately. And so she was persona non grata. Now we learn that she's going to be a guest judge on MasterChef, which I have to say is Is one of my favorite food shows. So I am really disheartened by this.
2: And, you know, I just don't want to be funny about this because so many people in our country get away with racism and sexism and homophobia and rejection of gender changes and more. But let's set that aside for now. Mm -hmm. Right. Like so many people get away with racism who are celebrities. Can we make a list? Jimmy Fallon's blackface clip. Yeah. Right. Yeah tweets by Taylor Selfridge, the actor from Team Mom, but too many more. And I just, I don't get it. I mean, and so many people have gotten away, to go back to the Kevin Spacey thing, so many people have gotten away with, with sexual abuse, right? Like Roman Polanski, Woody Allen. So it's like, it's like when you're a celebrity, you're powerful. And I just, I just don't, I don't like it.
0: So what about, Michael, the fact that, um, you know, somebody has to allow them to be able to have the stage again. In this case, this is Gordon Ramsay. This is his show, MasterChef. I mean, he's the big deal on that show. And she's going to appear as a part of Legends, the Legends season where they have like people like, you know, Emeril Lagasse and Roy Choi and Masahiro Morimoto. I mean, these are these are legends, but come on. How how does she even compare?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, and I I'm not going to uh, split hairs and give you my full ranking of celebrity chefs. I don't think the listeners really need to hear that. <laughs> but but I think what's interesting about your point, Callie, is uh, what the show is doing is it's courting controversy, right? We're talking about it mm. and we might not be talking about it if not for uh, their decision to put Paula Dean back on television. So they do benefit from controversy and publicity in this case. And this whole line about kind of honoring legends. I mean, I think part of the hysteria about cancel culture is sometimes you hear folks say, "Well, what do you want to do? Erase them from history?" And and that's really not what we're arguing about. We're not saying we have to act as if these folk never exist. We're saying we should really reckon with the legacy and treat it accordingly. Not pr- pretend that their career didn't happen. So, so if there's a perfectly reasonable way to recognize the woman's career without allowing her to continue to profit from racism and without giving the show uh, the kind of extra and really undue attention for drumming up controversy when really there's no moral ambiguity here. It was wrong and she doesn't deserve the platform.
2: Mm. Right. And and Michael, you make a good point, because I think that the people who are accepting them back are the ones erasing history.
0: I, I would agree with you on that. So I think that's an interesting take, too. All right, so here's, in the same vein, an interesting situation with uh, Chrissy Teigen. She's gotten into trouble for saying some pretty vile things in the past. As people know, she's active on social media and has been really supported in that because she's pretty clever and sharp. But these... Comments surfaced not long ago. And since then, there has been a real pushback. Uh, Let me just be clear. She went after reality TV star Courtney Stodden. That's somebody I have to say I did not know. Um, She was a teenager at that time. This is Courtney was a teenager 10 years ago. Um, and she, Chrissy Teigen, wrote her like, uh, wrote her things like, I can't wait for you to die. She said she, she wouldn't just publicly tweet about wanting me to take a dirt nap, but would privately DM me and tell me to kill myself. That's pretty intense. Now, so there's been a huge response among a lot of people in the way that we're talking about these other situations. So here's Pete Davidson's comment on Saturday Night Live about Chrissy Teigen.
1: If there's one good thing about the pandemic besides getting Chrissy Teigen out of our lives, it's (laughs) I'm relieved. Um...
0: So I raise uh, Chrissy Teigen because it falls in this category, but also it 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 harkens back to some conversations that have been had about people who wrote and said things when they, you know, a long, long ago. And many people's response is, well, you know, you can't just hold people to something the rest of their lives, people can change, blah, blah, blah. Um, I should say that Chrissy Teigen wrote an apology in which she said, I was image, I was an immature troll, these are her words, and it's horrible what I did. So how do you all respond to both the pushback against her and what she said some time ago, which seems pretty intense, and her apology?
1: Look, I think the issue here is, is a little bit complex because... Tegan's celebrity, she's a model and she's the spouse of John Legend. Tegan's celebrity is very much based on an image that she has cultivated around being on the sort of progressive side of social justice issues and presenting um, some of the challenges of uh, motherhood, uh, working motherhood, partnership in the public eye. So she had kind of endeared herself to uh, a population of fans who whose values are very much out of line with the kind of bullying that was revealed by uh, these recent reports. So so I think what made it so stark from people was this is so out of step with the way she had previously be con- been considered by the public. Now, what's interesting here is she did apologize right away and seems to have at least some self-awareness of the severity of the issue. And now the question becomes, will there be any genuine effort toward repair when it comes to these dynamics because she herself is someone who's been subject to many of the same kinds of attacks. The power differential may be a bit different, but as someone in the public eye, she's been bullied. She's been subject to sexism. Uh, I have no doubt she's been the recipient of all kinds of uh, similarly insensitive and, you know, borderline violent messages on social media. So if anyone can take this, learn from it, and do some kind of work of self-improvement, it should be her. And I think that's what we have to pay attention to from now on.
2: Right. She did apologize. Yeah.
1: You know, lots of people are apologizing these days
0: for stuff, but then what do they do afterwards? We'll see. You know, if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley and here with me is Michael Jeffries of Wellesley College and Rachel Rubin of UMass Boston. It's our pop culture round table. Um, love this story. These are this uh, young girls who formed a punk rock band to uh, push back against anti-Asian comments. The band is called Linda Lindas. And here they are performing Racist Sexist Boy. That was written by the drummer-singer Myla, who is 10 years old. Um, she was confronted by one of her classmates who, she said, backed away from her after she told him she was Chinese. And then she was just inspired with this young group of girls. Uh, most of them are Asian, but there's also a Latina teen as a part of it as well. And it's gone viral. The reason why it's gotten a lot of attention is it's gone viral. You like music. Rachel, what you think? I love <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm so proud of these little girls. Um, and I actually think there has been a strong generational shift. You know, you know, I find this uplifting. Um, I find it's just really direct. And, um, you know, it, it just, like, reminds me, you know, when I started teaching at UMass Boston, I, have, I stopped doing this, but when I started teaching um, a pop culture introductory class, Frequently, students would raise their hand and say, but this is just entertainment. And I would make the whole class stand up and chant. There's no such thing as just entertainment. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. So, you know, this song is, is literal and I I, and, and they're young and it's adorable. It shows a generational shift. Um, but but I think that it also does indicate the politics of pop culture.
1: Mm. Michael. Uh, no question I mean I, I think it's it's such an important moment right now and and the band has recently uh, signed a record deal actually with a that's right yeah. with a record label in Los Angeles that has a rich tradition in in punk music history you, you know the the racial dynamics here are really important because the rise in uh, anti-asian racism has been you know incredibly disturbing and violent you think about the tragedies that occurred in, in Atlanta. Uh, and of course the anti-Asian rhetoric and policy that was everywhere during the Trump administration. And what we're seeing now is a generation of young people. This has been their childhood. So we shouldn't be surprised that folks as young as 10 are reacting to it in the way that they are. And especially when you consider racist stereotypes of, uh, Asian folk as the model minority, right? Who are just supposed to sort of stay within the rules, um, aspire to the American dream, adopt a kind of respectability politics, not upset the racial order. Uh, What these uh, girls are doing is uh, disrupting all that very consciously, right? When you when you think about the type of music they do, a traditionally male dominated genre, they're interrupting that. When you when you look at the subject matter, it's. Politically progressive, it's it's radical and it's unapologetic, and I think for all those reasons, um, they're inspiring to their peers and also to adults. Right, it wasn't just kids who were retweeting this stuff. Folks in my peer group were enamored when this video went went viral. So it's it's a huge story and a really important moment.
0: Yeah. And a great way to, you know, uh, return attention, you know, because what happens when you have an ongoing uh, set of circumstances in which there are these uh, hate crime or hate crime like incidents continuing to happen is people say, haven't we heard that before? Haven't we seen that before? Um, And so when you have something like this that sort of uh, uh, reaches out in a very different way, it reminds people that, no, this isn't over and, and it's impacting Kids this young, um, and as you both said, um, so here's another show that I'm very excited about in pop culture. I, I think at this point it might even still be called an experiment, though they finally got it on the air. This is a show called Rutherford Falls. It's uh, on Peacock. It's set in the Native American world, a fictional world. Rutherford Falls is uh, focuses on a fictional tribe called the Shanka and what's really important is that the showrunners, and the those are the people in charge, and the people who are writing, a lot of them are Native American. And the idea is to have a comedy, but to break down a lot of these stereotypes that, as, as they have said, many people don't even know exist. They just take for granted. Um, have you all seen um, Rutherford Falls or heard anything about it? And And what do you think about this effort?
2: Yes, I I have heard about it. And I really also, I'm I'm grateful for it because I feel like there are so many cultural stereotypes that people don't know exist. And especially in this country about Native Americans because for one thing, many Americans think all Native Americans are the same, right? Mm, And they have like different cultures and I'm so happy about this. And I think that, you know, the next generation of culture should work to shatter those stereotypes. People need to like learn more in this country about what Native American culture actually is.
0: And I want to add, uh, Michael, before you uh, respond to it, that this is not a a lesson. This is a comedy, you know. So it's it's meant to entertain. But it, but to your point, your earlier point, Rachel, you know. The, there's stuff here. There's, there's no no
2: such thing as just entertainment. That's correct. That's yes, correct. Yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> Michael.
1: Yeah. Well, that's actually where I was going to go with this, Kelly. Is I think it's very significant that it's a comedy because um, that's not a field where Native American folk have traditionally uh, achieved a great deal of visibility or acclaim, right? And then it's tied to you know stereotypes of Native American folk as overly spiritual, perhaps stoic. Um, uh, if not, you know, just completely invisible and, and that kind of approach to uh, education and it's not, you know, a primarily educational show but that kind of approach to education can be really powerful because it allows for uh, breaking down boundaries and, and connections to communities that, as the show creators have said, uh, really, there are so many, there are so many things about these nations and communities of people that are not only uh forgotten misunderstood but that are just never even considered right the the notion of contemporary native american life to many folks that sounds like an oxymoron right contemporary what do you mean there are none of them left that's the stereotype that these folks are dealing with on a day-to-day basis Mm. so just making that intervention you know one of the things that made me think of and then i'll stop is you know the huge impact that tommy orange's book their there, yes. there hat yes. a couple of years That's ago, right. Callie. And That's I know right. you spoke with Orange, the author, and this is something that, you know, he went around the country on his speaking tours and talked about all the time. It's like, look, the story of that, this is my story. Contemporary, urban, Native American life, this is my story. And that alone is a huge shock to the system in American pop culture and the American imagination.
0: I agree with you because there is still uh, a stereotype that, uh, in this country that most Native Americans live rurally, and that's just not true. They live in the cities, you know. Well, let me talk to you about something that's been around a long time and going away, and that's Internet Explorer, the web browser. I have to say, I was kind of freaked out when they said this thing is going away. <laughs> what do you think? What do you guys think about that?
1: You know, it's, I think it's a generation, it really is a generational thing. At some point in our lives, for many of us, this was a new, a kind of new phenomenon, right? The idea of the web browser, was, was something new and exciting and, and tricky to figure out and all of those things. And then so quickly, right? So quickly we started taking it for granted and figuring out all the things we hated about Internet Explorer versus Firefox versus Safari. And that's just kind of the way, these things these things go. Uh, but but I think what what's interesting about the Explorer piece is. Uh, it was part of Microsoft's almost complete control of that experience, right? Like it was part and parcel of the Microsoft suite of apps or programs, right? So it was like part of its own world. And since then, the landscape of internet technology is just so much more diverse that if one of these other things went away, I don't think it could have the kind of cultural resonance of Explorer going away because none of them ever had the same position that Explorer had when Explorer was like the king of the mountain, (laughs) when Microsoft was king when it came to these things. So those are a few of the things that run through my mind. It really was a kind of nostalgic trip.
0: So Rachel, so people should know that at its height in the early 2000s, Explorer controlled 95% of the browser market to follow up what Michael said.
2: Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to internet browsers... Okay, I have to tell you something personal.
0: <laughs> You're still using it?
2: <laughs> no, I am not. Mm-hmm. But my high school boyfriend, with whom I'm still in touch, went on to be a like a very high-ranking person in um, internet security.
0: Wow.
2: You know, he set up the White House uh, computers, you know, online system. He's one of the people who's accredited with creating the firewall and then recently he figured out that there's no such thing as internet security and you know they can see whatever you're doing
0: so oh great thank you yeah (laughs) thank you for that
2: so i don't so i don't really care about anything (laughs) online anymore
0: well let me just say they'll be able to see a little less if people are using it because uh as of june 2022 um, this browser will no longer exist. So there you go. <laughs> um, there are a number of stories uh, that I'm putting all together here about folks uh, in the LGBTQ community who have struggled uh, with keeping silent and have just come out. One of them is Billy Porter. Now, people may know Billy Porter as the uh, great singer. Dan- well, he's just a triple threat, he's just fabulous. Um, He's also one of the driving forces behind the show Pose, um, but a Broadway star, a singer, all of that. And he came out, and many people were shocked, including myself, about his HIV diagnosis. So here he is on why he kept silent about it. I was shamed for my behavior, for my attributes from the minute I could comprehend thought and, you know, told I would never be blessed and told that AIDS was God's punishment for gays and all of that. So along with uh, Billy Porter's revealing that he has been HIV positive, it's a 14-year silence that he's breaking. Little Nas X says coming out was one of the scariest moments of his life. And then singer Demi Lovato came out as non-binary, um, and we had a local person here in Boston respond negatively to their announcement. Uh, but all of them got a sort of range of responses. But I th- my my point is, the theme is that it was a real int- internal struggle for each of them um, to say who they really were or what they were really struggling with. Rachel.
2: Well, I mean, you know, Lil Nas X became most famous with his song Old Town Road, and it was number one on the country charts. And people realized he was not technically country and they took it down. I admire him for coming out right away when he got a lot of attention. I think things are changing, but potentially the industry is not, and it has a history of dividing people racially. So I understand he was afraid he'd destroy his career if he came out, but that didn't happen, and I'm delighted. Um, Billy Porter's revelation, it's wonderful he didn't keep it a secret, and it's wonderful that he came out.
0: Um, well he kept it a secret for 14 years.
2: He kept it a secret for 14 years, but then he like then he like moved past that is what I'm saying. And you know, and then you know, people identify as non-binary. Right now that's kind of new, right? And there's a lot of pushback. I've had numerous UMass students identify as non-binary and I try to respect it. I speak Russian, and Russian has a, a pronoun that's neutral, and I would prefer this. But they, them works for me in theory. So I think that um, we are making progress, you know, across the country in all three of these areas.
0: And yet, Michael, I think some people might think, wow, are we still dealing with this in 2021 at this level?
1: Oh, I mean, no question. Look, these are huge stories. And I want to start with the Billy Porter story. People have to understand This is someone at the top of his profession, Emmy winner, Grammy winner, Tony winner, Billy Porter. Okay. So this (laughs) is the very, very top of his profession. Um, And he felt like he had a lot to lose on that climb. And when he made the disclosure that he was HIV positive, he talked about why now, why am I giving this message? And he sees it as a responsibility, a legacy that he carries for all of the gay black men who had this diagnosis from his generation and generations prior who didn't make it. When you look at the HIV AIDS crisis, the way it was politicized, the way it was lived, in particular by gay black men in this country, but by gay men more broadly as well, the racial dynamics are inescapable, right? If you look at the numbers, um, black Americans are far overrepresented among positive HIV AIDS cases. And when it comes to the mortality rate, this is a disease that is still killing black folk at a rate that far eclipses those of other groups. So his step was not just for himself. He sees himself as a vessel to do greater work here. And it's work that still needs to be done as evidenced by the struggle that Lil Nas X talked about, right? He had to digest so much fear and violence in order to get himself to a place where, again, once he was a pop star, he could disclose his sexual orientation. So, so I just think that when you add race to this and you look at the intersection of race, sexuality, and then, of course, public health and disease, there's a history here that Porter and Lil Nas X are a part of. And they're not taking for granted the progress that has been made so far. They're trying to provide a platform to get those who follow in their shoes to higher ground.
0: Mm, Yes. Uh, More recently, there has been quite a bit of attention to the life and times of Aretha Franklin. Now, I know she died in the scheme of things most recently. But I thought it was interesting that there's a whole series from National Geographic Channels, which was called Genius, And now there's a big movie starring Jennifer Hudson, which is called Respect. Here's the part of the trailer for the movie Respect. How is Aretha doing?
1: Aretha's doing all right. Just all right.
0: Singing is sacredly, and you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect. All right, you guys, what what's up with uh, so much attention to Aretha Franklin's life? <laughs>
2: well, I personally love Aretha Franklin, so I'm quite grateful for this. She does covers of songs I hate, and then I love her versions. Like, no offense if you like Simon and Garfunkel, but her version of Bridge Over Troubled Water is wonderful, including that she changes Sail On Silver Girl to Sail On Silver Woman. <laughs> And in fact, a woman singing respect is different from a man singing it. And Otis Redding admitted that she dusted him in her cover of his song. I still remember weeping when she died. However, I watched that trailer you showed a clip from. And um, not everything is visible in the trailer because I have seen videos that made me suspicious of how her father treated her. Mm. So we'll see if the movie takes that on. Mm.
0: Michael?
1: Yeah, I think, you know. In the brief time since her death, it's encouraged many people to really look into her career and her personal story in more depth than maybe they had before. And the more you learn about it, I mean, just the story alone is an incredible, just, it's an incredible account of just undeniable prodigious talent and her complete incubation in the, the world of gospel music. And the, her technical mastery of gospel music being inseparable from the social world that her parents had kind of built around her. I mean, she grew up not only in the church, but within a circle of gospel singing luminaries. And the ways gospel then enters into the songs that she sings even when they're not gospel songs i mean it just changes the way you see in the way you understand her music that's that's at least what happened for me on the personal side as rachel sort of alluded to you know she had a wild story i mean at, and i don't want to i don't want to make light of it because she went through things as a young person as a child really that are harrowing and disturbing so and those things were somehow ignored or swept under the rug, especially in the later part of her career, because she was such a mega star that you didn't look under the rug and, and really see what was, what was there. And she didn't talk about it very much, but I just think there's a lot there to unpack on the personal side as well. So I think we're gaining a deeper understanding of just how deep her musical well was and also how complicated her personal story is.
0: Well, I want to just uh, point out uh, one other thing. Bob Dylan is turning 80, um, (laughs) uh, which is going to shock a lot of people. Why should people pay attention to the fact that he's turning 80? I mean, like, who is he in the world that this should have, have meaning to folks is what I'm getting at.
2: Well, I just feel like if he's turning 80 and he started singing really young, I think that he has had an influence on, like, numerous musical generations. You know, I think that over the years, he's had a lot of, you know, class consciousness. But he also sang songs about racism. He he sang songs about the Vietnam War. He sang songs about the lynching of Black people. He sang songs, you know, he, he goes on. Okay.
1: Michael? Yeah, I mean, I think... First of all, there's just reverence for his career. You know, this is someone who, uh, you know, began his career early 20s, I think 2021 was when he really committed himself to music and was just an astronomical success by the time he was 25 years old, really. I mean, he he you know, the the intervention that he made in in folk music and popular culture. uh, We take for granted now that you could be a star with this kind of political power and crossover, but the reason you can have folks joining this tradition is because of people like Dylan. uh, And of course, you know, his, his idol Guthrie, right. Who, 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 who again, who paved the path, right. Who made it possible for other people, younger artists to imagine themselves, not only entertaining people, but, but changing the world. And the other thing I'll say about Dylan is, there's a way in which he's become part of a canon, like an intellectual canon of music. And you know this better than anyone, Rachel, where he, he really, I feel like, is one of the first people from popular music where it was like it was OK to teach Dylan in a college course. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it used to it, it, prior to my generation, it, it used to be people would look at you a little bit funny. if you said, oh, I'm going to do a class on rock music. Or for me personally, I teach on rap music. It's like that would have been a crazy idea. But Dylan, because of his lyrics, his lyricism and his work, lends a kind of legitimacy, an intellectual legitimacy to studying music and social movements together, to studying music and politics together. And I think that's part of his influence too when it comes to education and the seriousness with which we treat this kind of music and, and and his performances. So just an incredible legacy and an incredible career. That
0: is a good place to leave it for this conversation. And I thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Jeffries is the Dean of Academic Affairs and a Professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. Rachel Rubin is a Professor of American Studies at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Coming up, expensive but bigger, sweeter, and creamier, are strawberries from Japan the perfect fruit? And home bakers turned entrepreneurs are selling customizable treats via social media. Wine lovers can now enjoy the taste and feel of wine, but without the alcohol. And does Massachusetts have a hidden haven of vineyards and wineries? It's food and wine. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.